0: as we come to your word, we come with rejoicing hearts, that Christ is risen, that the victory over sin, the redemption of the saints is complete, that the work has been done, that Christ has done that work. And so we thank you, Lord, for a day in which we can reflect on this great truth, this truth that serves as something of a foundation of the faith, something that uh, is unlike any other event in world history. We thank you for it. We praise you for it. And we remember, we remember, Lord, what was done uh, as we come to your word today and seek your help in understanding and putting to, to use your word for the glory of Christ. Amen. Again, the text that we'll be looking at today is Matthew chapter 28, Matthew chapter 28, verses 8 to 10. One of the biggest events that happened last year, apart from the United States presidential election, was Britain leaving the European Union in a move that uh, was heavily criticized and came to be notoriously referred to as Brexit. Everybody in here uh, heard of this whole thing called Brexit. It was Britain leaving the EU. Yeah, you're married to a British guy. Never heard of it. I I know. (laughs) It was a controversial move. Uh, If you didn't watch the news, you wouldn't know anything about it, of course. Uh, It was a very, very controversial move, to say the very least. Uh, British Prime Minister Theresa May described Britain's withdrawal from the EU as one of the, quote, greatest turning points in our national history. And she went on to say, quote, this is an historic moment from which there can be no turning back. That's a very interesting thought, that this, is, this was looked at as an historic moment, moment from which there is no turning back. And when I hear something like that, when I hear somebody talk about this is a, you know, this is a historic moment, or, or this is a turning point in history, it brings my mind back to the resurrection of Christ. Because if there is any event in world history that could be described as epic, that could be described as a historic event, a historic moment. It was the moment that Christ was raised from the dead. And while most people from around the world have more or less forgotten about Brexit at this point, apparently the lady married to the English guy has forgotten all about it. (laughs) The resurrection is totally unlike any other event It's not forgotten. It stands alone, uncontested as the single most significant event in the history of the world. Its impact didn't fade out the following month. The the impact of the resurrection didn't go away the next year. It didn't go away within a decade, within a generation. It hadn't shrunk at all. In fact, it had caught fire, and the disciples of Jesus began to... Celebrate it every Sunday. The impact of the resurrection didn't fade out. It continues to this day. It continued for a thousand years. It's continued for two thousand years. And so to this very day, the impact of the resurrection is seen simply in the fact that we meet on Sundays, if nothing else. It's an event that should be remembered and it should be celebrated. It should be kept at the front of our minds every day, but we should remember that we meet on the first day of every week because that was the day when Christ rose from the grave. The resurrection of Jesus is what separates Christianity from any other philosophy, from any other ideology, from any other Religion in the entire world. And while many will wrongly say that all roads lead to God, and thus they wrongly affirm that any and all worship is acceptable to God, belief in the resurrection of Christ, the Bible tells us belief in the resurrection of Christ is necessary unto salvation. It's necessary to believe in order to be saved. And Christianity is the only religion in the world that affirms the resurrection of Christ. Because of the resurrection, Jesus stands above the names of everybody else who has started a religious movement. Because of the resurrection, Jesus' name stands above everybody else who has developed an ideology or a philosophy. Because of the resurrection, He is totally different than any other religious leader. Buddha is dead. Confucius is dead. Muhammad is dead, and it might be significant to add they're still dead. They're still rotting in their tombs, but Jesus is totally unlike any of these people because Jesus is alive. Jesus was raised from the dead. There are two major events that we celebrate this weekend that we remember and celebrate this weekend and these two events are the two events on which the entire Christian faith is built. The first is the death of Christ and his resurrection is from the dead is the second one the, the death of Christ is significant because the death of Christ is our propitiation. It is our Atonement. It is the time when Jesus took the sins of His people upon Himself and He also took the wrath of God upon Himself in their place as their substitute. That is huge. That is significant. There's nothing else in history. There's nobody else who's ever done that. And without His resurrection, there is no guarantee that the atonement was sufficient. That the atonement was enough. That the atonement pleased God. The Father. There's no guarantee without a resurrection that there is victory over death, that there is victory over sin. So we gather today, we gather this morning to set our minds on this historically unique event that not only changed the course of world history, but continues to this day to change lives for everyone who will trust in Christ alone. So today we're going to be looking at the testimony of Matthew Matthew chapter 28 verses 1 to 10 his account is actually somewhat brief in comparison to Luke's account or in comparison to John's account but it's not as brief as Mark's account but despite the fact that it's it's sort of brief the fact is it's actually very succinct it gives us some very important details and gives us a concise record of what took place on that morning so we start with Matthew chapter 28 verse 1 which says now after the Sabbath which is Saturday by the way after the Sabbath toward the dawn of the first day of the week Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb now it's not uncommon for us it's not unheard of it's familiar it's a familiar concept for us to imagine somebody going to the tomb or going to the grave of a loved one in order to pay respects. If you were to drive by a cemetery today, I'm sure that you would often, you know, you would see people out there uh, adorning graves, putting, putting flowers or, or uh, tokens of remembrance on, on graves out there. You know, that's, that's not uncommon. Jesus had been crucified on Friday, And these are just two of the women. There were more than that. The other gospel authors tell us that there were more women than just that. But Matthew focuses on these two women. And these two women had personally witnessed Christ's death. And they're not just going to to pay their respects, so to speak. Mark actually is very specific in his testimony telling us exactly what they were actually hoping to do in going there early in the morning. They're there to anoint the body of Christ with spices. Now the body had already been wrapped in a linen. Uh, We we can assume uh, that that was done on Friday, but it was done very, very quickly. So uh, there probably was just not time to anoint the body with spices. That's a work that's usually done on the day of the burial, but the time for anointing the body on Friday had been cut short. Because the way that the Jewish week is structured, the Sabbath starts when the sun goes down on Friday. So, any work that you were to start in the daytime that might lead into the night needs to stop as soon as the sun goes down because it was a violation of the law to work on the Sabbath. So, it was forbidden that they continue the work of anointing the body and preparing the body for burial on Friday. So these women are coming toward the dawn of the day on Sunday. Before the sun is up, they are out uh, and, and getting ready to anoint the body of Christ after the Sabbath had passed. And so these women, these women come to the tomb where Joseph of Arimathea had laid the body of Christ, and they were fully expecting to find his corpse exactly where it had been laid on Friday. And Mark fills us in again on some of the discussion that took place between the women before they arrived at the tomb. And he tells us that part of their discussion included uh, an awareness of the fact that these women were going to need somebody to roll away the, uh, the, the stone from the tomb in order to give them access to the corpse or the body of Christ. And so for these women, as far as they were concerned, this was just a final opportunity to serve Jesus, to demonstrate their their love and their devotion to Jesus by giving Him a burial with dignity, the dignity that they felt that He deserved. They had no idea what was about to take place. They had no expectation of finding what they were about to find. But what they would see, what they would find, what they would experience would change their lives forever. The stone would be rolled away. That part would be taken care of. Let's look at verses 2-8. to And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. told you So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and ran to tell his disciples. So this is actually the second earthquake. This, this, this passage starts with there being a, an enormous earthquake, and it's the second one that Matthew records. He recorded a first earthquake in the previous chapter, which took place upon the death of Christ. And Matthew is actually the only one of the gospel authors who records these earthquakes. And so for some people, that will make them a little bit skeptical as to whether or not these earthquakes were literal or whether this is just a fabrication or or what. But the fact is that his testimony, Matthew's testimony, was made public. This was publicly distributed within only a few years of the events. There were scores of people who could have come forward and said, There was no earthquake on that day. Or this didn't happen, or that didn't happen, or whatever didn't happen. There were a lot of people who could have come forward and said these things, but the reality is, for all the skeptics, nobody, nobody came forward to challenge Matthew's testimony. The earthquakes bear witness to the fact that Paul tells us about in the book of Romans that creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Romans 8.19 And that until that day, the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth. It's in verse 22. It's as if the, the earth was groaning with the suffering and the death of Christ, and yet it rejoiced with trembling at His rising. Matthew tells us the reason for the earthquake. He tells us how this earthquake happened or why it happened. It was because an angel of the Lord had descended from heaven in order to roll the stone away. And sitting on this stone, waiting for the women to arrive, was an angel who was there to tell them the good news. And his appearance was so breathtaking. His appearance was so exhilarating that these guards who had been assigned to watch the tomb of Christ fainted they were like dead men they, they passed out they were so scared now we're not talking about a couple of sissy guards here these are roman centurion guards these are seasoned warriors that we're talking about and they were terrified at what they saw they were so terrified they passed out they fainted and as the women approach the tomb the angel tells them don't be afraid He tells them they don't need to fear. He says, He is risen as He said. Ah, Jesus said that? They've got to be thinking, wait, Jesus Jesus said that, that, that He would rise? What? Well, Matthew actually tells us of three separate instances in which Jesus specifically told the disciples of what would happen. In Luke's testimony, he tells us Luke tells us that the angel said, "Remember how he told you while he was in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day and be crucified and on the third day rise." That's from Luke chapter 24 verses 6 and 7. So the angel tells them, reminds them of what they had heard from Jesus himself. And then he invites them to see the empty grave. And I imagine that at this point, they've got to be filled with so much anxiousness, so much confusion, so much wonder, so much amazement, so much joy, so much fear. And yet we should remember that we're not celebrating just any old empty tomb. If you think about it, there have been Scores of empty tombs, empty graves throughout history, and there are so many logical, naturalistic reasons for empty tombs that have nothing to do with God, that have nothing to do with with a miracle, that have nothing to do with a resurrection. No, we're not just celebrating an empty tomb, we're celebrating the risen Savior who would appear to hundreds upon hundreds of people following His death and resurrection. The empty tomb is only significant because of what happened after the tomb was seen to be empty. The empty tomb is only significant because we have an explanation for it that is not natural. We have an explanation for it that is miraculous. God raised Him from the dead. And if you want to be more specific about it, The Holy Spirit raised Jesus on the authority of the Father. Romans chapter 8, verse 11 says, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead... Talking about the Holy Spirit. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. And so as the angel spoke to the women... Showing them the empty tomb. Showing them the evidence. Reminding them of what had happened. The greatest obstacle of all was removed. That obstacle being their unbelief. They believed what had happened. They believed what the angel had told them. So if you were to break this down, if you were to break this passage down, verse 5 In in verse 5, the angel reminds them of what had happened in the past, reminds them of what Jesus had told them would happen. Verse 6, he informs them of the current reality, the present reality, that Jesus is not there, that he is risen as he had said. And then in verse 7, he gives them instruction for the future. It's great to know that Christ has risen from the dead, but that knowledge can't just be up here. It has to be here too. It has to be in your heart. It can't just be an intellectual knowledge. It has to be a heart knowledge. Because a heart knowledge is going to drive us toward some certain action in light of the intellectual truth that we affirm, that we believe. In verse 8, we see that they left the site of the tomb with fear and great joy. What What a weird mix of emotions. Fear and great joy. Have you ever had one of those moments where something happens or you see something or, or, and you're not sure if you should laugh or cry? You, you sit there thinking, wow, you know, this is funny, but I, I think I should, I should cry too. That's what these women are, are basically feeling at this moment. It was probably just this inexpressible combination of, of multiple emotions all at the same time, but they're obedient to what the, the, the angel of the Lord has told them to do. They go. go and they're going to go tell the disciples what they've been told to tell him this had to just be such a, a crazy situation for them when when you see something that is totally unexpected and for which you have no real explanation in the moment it can seem like a dream it can seem just insane like is this really happening so this this is where they are that's what they're feeling that's what they're thinking at this point but they're actually just getting started Let's read verses 9 and 10. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. So this news was so good. This news that Christ had been risen was so good, so wonderful, that the women hurried to obey the instructions that had been given to them by the angel at the tomb. But as they are on their way to go and see the disciples, Jesus himself appears to them on the way. And they're not seeing a ghost. They're not seeing A spirit. It's not that Jesus' body like broke down into particles and escaped that way. No, this is His glorified body that they're seeing Him in. The resurrected Christ. And He greets them. And what do they do? The only thing that you can do if you really believe that Christ has risen from the grave. They get down in the dirt. At His feet. And they start worshiping Him. And if Jesus was not God, it would have been sinful for him to receive this worship without rebuking these women. When angels receive worship, in Revelation, for example, what do they do? They rebuke. Don't worship me. I'm just like you. I'm just worshiping God just like you should be. And so these women do the only thing that was proper. They fall at His feet, and they worship Him. But an encounter with Jesus has to go beyond that. Yes, yes, it should, it should involve worshiping, absolutely, but it cannot end there. It should result in a specific action on our behalf. It is always the motivation to go and tell others. It is always the motivation to go and spread the good news, to make disciples as Jesus would instruct them at the end of this chapter. Their mission is just to go and tell the disciples, reminding them to go to Galilee and that they would see the risen Christ for themselves there. And while we don't have a whole lot of time to take a look at what happens next in, in, in our text here? It's worth noting that Matthew does add sort of a, a PS here, a postscript here, that the other Gospel authors don't include. He tells us that as the women were going to, to see the disciples and to tell them the good news, the guards came to, they, they, they woke up, and they went to report everything that had happened. And what else are they going to do? They were assigned to watch over this, this tomb, and it's empty. It's empty. And so it would be better for the authorities to hear their side of the story than for them to just hear, hey, there's an empty tomb because they had been put on very strict orders to make sure that the body remained in the tomb. So Matthew tells us that the chief priests and elders get the news from these guards, and so they bribe the guards. The last thing that the chief priests and elders wanted was for the people to know what had happened. And so they came up with a plan. They would bribe the guards and to tell everybody that the disciples were the ones who stole Jesus' body. That's the explanation that the chief priests and elders are trying to circulate. But Matthew concludes in verse 15, writing this. He says, "...so they took the money and did as they were directed." And this story, he says, has been spread among the Jews to this day. Isn't that funny that he wrote that 2,000 years ago and said that, that this is the story that had been circulating to that day? Because it's still the same story that skeptics and atheists and unbelievers are trying to affirm to this very day. But the reality is, the facts speak for themselves. The facts don't support the idea that Jesus' body was stolen or that, you know, something else had, you know, there was a grave robber, the disciples did something with his body. The facts speak for themselves. The reality is that if there is no resurrection, at the very least, Peter himself goes back to being just this Joe Schmo. He goes back to being a commercial fisherman. The other disciples, they. They don't go forward proclaiming that Jesus is raised from the dead if there's no resurrection. No, their lives just go back to what they were before because they're in sorrow. Without the resurrection of Christ, the disciples all just go back to their daily lives. Without the resurrection of Christ, there's nothing to motivate them. To spread the news that Christ is risen, even though that news will result in every single one of them suffering greatly, suffering great affliction, being, being put to death sometimes, being severely beaten sometimes, being severely persecuted for the sake of the risen Christ. And you notice that Matthew doesn't even try to explain how this happened. He doesn't try to explain how the resurrection happened. You see, Matthew's testimony doesn't explain the resurrection. No, the resurrection of Christ is what explains Matthew's testimony. The resurrection of Christ is what explains why Matthew would leave behind worldly riches, worldly ambitions, worldly goals, worldly pleasures, all for the sake of of spreading the good news, of spreading the Gospel, even though it would eventually cost him his life. People won't die for something that they know is a lie. That's just a fact. To this day, to this very day, people try to come up with some other explanation for the resurrection. Something other than God raising him from the dead. And yet, Former Harvard Law School professor, Simon Greenleaf, after reading through the four gospel testimonies, after examining all of the evidence that there was for and against the resurrection of Christ, this is a Harvard Law professor. He wrote, quote, According to the laws of legal evidence used in courts of law, there is more evidence for the historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ than for just about any other event in history End quote. "that's a strong comment from a legal expert from the guy who wrote the book on testimony on evidence without the resurrection jesus was just another leader he was just another rebel you you, you might be thinking you know what does this what does this mean for me so what what difference does it make if jesus really rose from the dead. The difference is it separates Jesus from every other religious leader, from everybody else who opposed the world system, from everybody else who developed a philosophy or tried to start a movement. The resurrection is proof that Jesus is Lord of all. Romans chapter 1 verse 4 says that Jesus, quote, was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. In other words, God's way of saying, yes, he is Lord, yes, he is God, is by raising him in the power of the Holy Spirit. The resurrection tells us that the world is not headed for disaster. Contrary to what the news will tell you, it tells us that the world is headed toward a future redemption. It tells us that nothing is impossible for God. Nothing. It tells us that the salvation of the redeemed is secure. That payment was made in full. And that the Father found that payment to be sufficient and acceptable. The resurrection assures us that nothing can separate God's people from His love. The resurrection gives meaning to life. Without the resurrection, without a risen Savior, there is nothing meaningful about life. We may as well just drink and be merry. It gives us assurance. The resurrection gives us assurance that the power for growth in the likeness of Christ, dwells within those who have placed saving faith in Christ. God demands our obedience. And yet without the Holy Spirit within us, it is impossible. The resurrection tells us that the power that raised Him from the dead dwells within us. Why? To obey God to walk in obedience, to walk in fellowship with God. The resurrection of Christ assures us that Christ lives, that He is reigning over His kingdom in sovereignty. It assures us that God's perfect sovereign will cannot and will not ever be thwarted by even the best efforts of sinful man. The resurrection reminds us that Jesus is worthy of our obedience. It reminds us that He is worthy of our greatest worship, of our greatest devotion. Because to reject Him, to reject the Savior who has risen from the dead, is to reject the offer of forgiveness from God. It is to reject peace with God. And for that reason, to reject the risen Savior is the worst sin that anybody could commit the evidence for the resurrection is overwhelming. Every single life, every single person whose life is changed by Christ adds to the weight of evidence. The resurrection, if you think of the Normandy Beach invasion, it is heaven's Normandy Beach invasion. It is heaven's kingdom coming in and defeating its enemies, claiming victory. And that victory lasts to this very day, into eternity. The resurrection is what started it all. The resurrection is what motivated the disciples to go. The resurrection is what motivates missionaries to this very day to go. If Christ did not rise from the dead there would be no Christianity. There would be none of the things that Christianity has brought to the world, such as hospitals or public schools. Those were all brought in by Christians who were trying to serve because they believed that there was a greater truth that needed to be known. The truth that Jesus rose from the grave. Within a generation of His death, there were hundreds of people who witnessed Him. And there were hundreds of people who could have said, wait a minute, nobody has seen Him. But nobody did. Nobody did. Romans 10.9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's be clear about this. To believe in this is supernatural. Supernatural. It is a miracle if you believe that Jesus raised from the dead. Do you believe that He did? Do you believe that He lives? Do you believe that He reigns? Do you believe that Christ is Lord? Then come to the cross. If you believe, if you have placed faith in Him, if you want to be reconciled, to a holy God whose wrath against sinners will be unleashed one day. If you want to be reconciled to Him, come to the cross. See the Savior who died for you, who took the sins of everyone who would place saving faith in Him upon Himself, and in exchange, He gave them, He gave His people, His righteousness, so that they could stand before God redeemed, reconciled, forgiven but as you come to the cross, do not despair. He died for our redemption, but He was raised for our justification. And so there is no place to despair over Christ being crucified for our sins. There is only room to despair of our sin and to turn from it and to believe that Jesus lives. To believe that Jesus reigns, now and forever. Christ is risen! Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank You for our time together today to reflect on these great, great truths of the Christian faith. We thank You, Lord, for the atonement, for the sacrifice of Christ, On behalf of anyone who would, and everyone who would place saving faith in him. And we thank you, Lord, that he rose from the grave to prove that our justification was complete, to prove that it is finished. So we thank you for sending your son and for doing what was necessary to reconcile wicked, fallen sinners to yourself. Father, we confess to You in the silence of our hearts that we don't deserve any of this. We don't deserve Your grace. But we thank You that Jesus took the cup of wrath in order that we may take the cup of grace. That You would put us under Your blessing and put Him under Your curse for our sake that he would bear the penalty that we deserved, and that we would be clothed in his righteousness, a righteousness we could never earn, so that we could be reconciled with you and stand before you justified. Father, we do thank you for being a God who loves us so dearly that you would send your son to bear our shame, bear our sin, and to redeem us for your glory. But we pray, Lord, that this would not just be intellectual knowledge, but that it would get our feet moving, that we would have motivation to go and spread the gospel, to share it with people who need to hear it, who are lost in darkness, who are enemies of yours, who need to be redeemed. And so, Father, we, we ask that you would give us boldness and fear as we do that, as the women were experiencing on that morning, for the glory of Christ. Take me deeper.